Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. What's up, Sam? Cheers. Cheers with the Diet Coke. Cheers to our listeners. Today, you know what today is? What's today? We institute, institute a new social media holiday. Music Business Podcast Fan Appreciation Day. It's going to be 365 days a year, seven days a week. We do it for y'all. We love y'all. Don't cry, man. You're going to make me cry, man. You're going to make me cry. It's like that meme. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going for. Got you. I feel that's, you. That meme is legendary. But today, who we got on today? We got on Jason Jordan today, man. Jason Jordan. No relation. Because my name is Jordan. His last name is Jordan. I know that's not how names work, but I just want to put that out there. Really excited to have Jason on, though, because as I'm sure you guys know, I love having people on the podcast that have either had more than one career or well, simultaneously or consecutively. So, you know, Ramya, she's a manager, but she manages a fashion career, a photographer career and a music career. You know, those are my favorite type of people to interview. Jason is the epitome of that. He's had a 30-year career. Started when he was 12 years old, literally with his own hard punk record label when he was 12 years old. I can tell you right now when I was 12 years old, especially every summer, it was like McDonald's, Gushers, and video games. That was it. That was my hustle. It didn't mean a thing. He was out here making a, his own record label, you know? And since then, um, fortunately, since you know he was able to have experience from the time that he was 12 to when he was around 21, 22, and he became an executive, an A&R executive at Columbia Records, um, so we get into what it's like being an A&R there. He's worked for the Walt Disney Company, um, where he worked in the music department there for 14 years. It's the, the longest stretch he had at a company. He's the, the vice president of A&R. Yeah, vice president of A&R at, at, the, at the Walt music. Disney Company. Yeah. Um, so he's got a lot of experience there that we go over. He was president of Amagam, which was acquired by Concord. You know, I work with with publishers from... Imagam. Yeah, so he, keeps, yeah he says say. that. Yeah, he says that. Imagam. He was, you know, he worked for Amacham. He was president of Hamacham. It was acquired <laughs> by Concord. I'm going to mock you up. Like, what's up? Get at me. <laughs> Sorry. Amacham. Continue. Yeah. It was acquired by Concord. I, you know, I work with them a lot. Um, so he's he has experience across multiple areas of the music industry. A&R. VP uh, at A&R at Republic, too. Yeah. I mean, very, uh, very Publishing. Incredible. And not only that, but he has the experience of an executive. So we yeah. get to see we get to see not just a well seasoned music industry veteran, but a well a well seasoned music industry executive. Um, and we kind of get to go through his story. Cool, you know. Yeah, and so. we get to dive into some awesome topics: finding and developing talent. He's been in the A and R game for a while. How talent development has evolved. What do music publishers do? I think he's seen the industry change a lot, so he gives us great perspective into a lot of high and low level things. Uh, uh, professional development, back end of the industry, what's changing, the current role of a record label. Distribution, which yeah. is a hot topic right now. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, How are you doing thanks tonight? Thanks for having me here. This is really awesome. Great space here at the Bands in Town studio, studio which is quite lovely. 
can actually have a band play while they're in town. There it is. Great stage. <laughs> it all makes sense now. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. So definitely want to dive into a bunch of different topics. Um, but for starters, I think A&R, finding, developing talents, um, and just diving straight into the meat of it. I mean, when you think about finding and developing talents, um, are there any specific kind of stories of talent that you found that you feel were just very interesting journeys? We'll start kind of at a story and then start to extract and think about different trends and tactics. Interesting. Um, well, I mean, most of the things that I've been proud of were never data related. Mm -hmm. You know, they mm -hmm. were just passion plays. Right. I mean, it's it's quite literally, it's, it's very un, unheard of to do that anymore. Right. Um, even most recently while at Republic Records, I had signed an artist named Juke Ross mm -hmm. who, you know, was had that less than a thousand on Spotify, like didn't quantify to get a record deal, probably shouldn't have had a record deal initially, but he was so good and still is very good. He's mm -hmm. now signed RCA records through Kygo's imprint, uh, and just released a new single last week. But um, he was an interesting one because just for instance, he actually won on raw talent. The data did not support the signing. Mm -hmm. Um, as you know, some record label presidents would say it's non-actionable, uh, you know, meaning some, some most, I should say, uh, companies do wait until it sits, hits a certain sweet spot on its own and then dive in and say, look, the idea here would be for us to throw gasoline on your career and explode you bigger. But, you know, if you're already doing 20, 30 million streams on your own, you kind of don't really need a record deal anymore at that point. You've kind of already done the, 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 the you've gotten the momentum going. Um, you know, you can basically market and promote around that if you need to. And a lot of people do come to record companies because they believe, you know, we need radio promotion. I'd say, okay, great, play me the song. And, you know, nine times out of 10, there wouldn't be a song written yet. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of artists that should stay outside of the building for a little while and mm -hmm. keep selling records and stay independent. And, you know, Juke was a different scenario because that was very, uh, just, it was just one of those things that reminded me of when I was an early A&R person in, in 1994 where there was no data, mm -hmm. you know, I don't even know if SoundScan existed yet. And or if it did, it was, it was often fraudulent, you mm -hmm. know, it wasn't accurate. Um, but even then it was still like, oh my God, I saw this amazing band at Brownies in the East Village and oh my God, here's their demo tape. And, right. you know, this, and you know, the truth is, is even record companies back then, instead of data, they would say, the, the bosses would say, who else wants to sign it? Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, what? Uh, just me. I'm the first one here. <laughs> like, wait, I, I need somebody else who wants to sign it? <laughs> so I, I actually had to go start bidding wars like for artists that I wanted to sign in the early nineties. Yeah. Just, just wait, to get what? my label to care. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was like, it was almost like another label being interested in them would qualify it to do a deal. Wow. Like talk about like crazy because you might be the first one there and go, Hey, um, I'm from Columbia records. I want to sign you. I'm Jason Jordan and you are, you're fucking awesome. Let's do this. And that's kind of how it used to be, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, even Breaking Benjamin was like that. You know, we, I, we had a radio promotion guy named David Pearl at Hollywood Records where I was VP of A&R for 14 years. It's, it's like having a 14-year-old kid. Mm. It's like crazy, but I had an amazing career there. And 
Breaking Benjamin is not to jump around, but they're really a good example because, you know, the only thing that was there was they had one radio ad in their local station in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Wilkes-Barre area. And it was the number one most requested song. So it was still data, but it wasn't, you know, there was nothing really, there, were no, there was no streaming platform yet. There was nothing to, you know, quantify a deal against or whatever. So a, a lot of times it seems like these days it's more, more often than not, you're really just sign of, you know, signing something based on the information being correct. So yeah. it's like almost like banking in a lot of ways. Uh, it takes the passion out of it. It takes the, there is a certain sexy risk involved when you sign something. And don't get me wrong, even something that does, you know, um, look good on paper can still fail, yeah. you know? Um, so, you know, back to sort of like, hey, you're at a record company, you're going to throw gasoline on my career. Well, yeah, we might also throw water on your career. Mm-hmm. You might also you're, you might already be doing great. Like you know, maybe the label isn't gonna do any better for you. So you know, it's it's truly just somebody deciding if they what what their needs are and finding out what partner is the best to address those. Mm-hmm. Um, but artists' discovery is like it's just so different these days. It, it went from somebody you know whispering in your ear about a band, and in this case, Breaking Benjamin. You know, our pro- promo person in New York named David Pearl slipped me their five-song demo CD, which then became their EP. And it had their song on it, Polyamorous, that was number one in Wilkes-Barre. And I'm like, my God. And I drove out to a, a tiny little bar in the middle of nowhere, and they were playing Deftones covers and Nirvana covers and slipping in occasional original. And I'm like, my God, the originals are amazing. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the deal looked the same all across the table. Right, every every company was offering them same amount of money and same amount of love and support, you know, verbally and on paper. But you really don't know until your record comes out if that's <laughs> how much love and support you're really going to get. But in the end, I was able to, you know, convince them to sign with Hollywood Records because even though their heroes Metallica were signed to Elektra and you know they wanted to be at other labels that had other rock bands. The truth was, I'm like, look, you know, when you be, and this is true to, for any artist, once you become successful, the most successful artists at that label don't want you around anymore. You suddenly become their competition. Mm-hmm. So you, if you go to sign to Electra and thinking Metallica's taking you on tour, you're, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're not taking you on tour. They're going to try to get rid of you. If you have a hit, God, we right. forget about it. And not, not calling them out on uh, specifically, but you know, any artist that is competitive. Um, but I, I don't mean to meander. I'm just saying there's so many different ways to discover talent these days. And most of it is really from data. Right. And the data, in my opinion, should support that intangible feeling that you often get when you feel you hear music and you want the rest of the world to hear it. Yeah. And that's interesting. And I think it's fascinating to me to see, think about the balance and really making sure that passion and excitement is there and using data to kind of support that and where that fine line is drawn is almost impossible to to actually draw. But with that said, when it comes to trying to create like repeatable mechanisms of discovering talent, like as I mean, as SVP of A&R, at, whether it's at Republic or in your role as a A&R at other companies, um, 
Like, how do you, is there like, I mean, there's no formula, but right. I want to get as close as possible to the formula. Okay. Sure. Well, especially now because there's just so many places to listen to music. Right. Like, right. And there, there is the data, there is the intuition, blah, blah, blah. But like, sure. how do you try and replicate this model of trying to find and find amazing talent? And then how, how do you, do you replicate teach it? people that? Well, I mean, there's a system, obviously. I can't really discuss exactly how it's done, but yeah, every artist, yeah. every label does it differently. Right. right. Um, you know, usually it's you monitor an artist and see how well their streaming improves, um, whether or not they have any airplay, you know, whether they're doing well in certain markets. You know, it's just the basic things. And um, there there still is the uh, the, the way that you discover art through your, through your uh, network. You know, mm -hmm. through people like you who manage artists and um, lawyers. And obviously, I have my own discovery ways of just bumping into music on SoundCloud or mm -hmm. through accidents, you know, it's strange. But, you know, back in the day, again, not to lament, but I'm not lamenting. It's the, you know, you would sometimes go see the headlining band, like, I'm going to go sign this band. And you'd get there and the opening band was 10 times better. Mm -hmm. I'm like, thank God I came. <laughs> Even yeah. though I wasn't going to come, thank God I came. The data, again, should support that intangible feeling. And I almost feel like if you're looking at it any other way, you're just playing the stock market, you know? And it's it's like, if it's is it good? I don't know. I'm going to, you know, make an offer and we'll see if, it's, if it sticks. I, I, I'm not saying that's how every label operates, but a lot of them do, you know, there is just so much information and so much media coming at us as consumers anyway. But then also think about the people who are making it, the content creators, the discoverers, the, mm -hmm. it's just, there's so much coming at us. Mm -hmm. And then to actually, you know, point your finger at one thing and go, you, I'm going to mm -hmm. work with you. And then like, you know, make that superlative or try to make that superlative. Right. That's really the difficult part. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there's still a space for passion projects? Because I know you're saying... Well, you know, I got lucky and was able to sign Juke Ross to Republic Records. I mean, they allowed me to do that. And that was a passion project. And it got to 50 million streams before, you know, he went to do, you know, do a deal elsewhere. Right. So I honestly believe it, it. there is. There absolutely is. I mean, I still think that editorial at, you know, DSPs still listen to records that are meaningful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though the analytics should say X, Y, and Z, if you're still pitching a great record with a great story, with a, you know, amazing lyrics and compelling reasons to play it, you know, it's the same as why radio promotion people for the last 40 or some odd years have been throwing themselves on swords to get records added. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about telling the artist's story and being passionate about it and, you know, believing in them as much as they believe in themselves. I mean, that's like the hardest part because sometimes the team is often only the managers believe in them. And you're like, oh my God, as an A&R person, your responsibility is not only just discovery, but it's really managing the project through the building. Right. You know, helping the management team more than halfway because they're not in the building, you are. So, you know, after discovery, you know, discovery is one thing. And there's many pillars of A&R. One of them is discovery. Um, the second would be, in my opinion, like, well, certainly empathy and talking to the artist. Hey, you know, I'm Jason Jordan. I would like you to sign to X Records because I'm working here now. And in the end of the day, there, you know, the only thing that you get from A&R is sales because mm -hmm. you're, you're really selling somebody on the mm -hmm. idea, hey, this label is going to make you happen. I'm going to help you achieve your dreams. And the truth is, it's like, Yes, every label is is capable of doing that, but every label is also capable of taking that away. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, number two is really important is being empathetic and listening and knowing what an artist wants and what, you know, how to achieve those goals, mm-hmm. which leads to number three, which is actually achieving those goals, making the record. You know, um, many people don't know how to, the, the lost art of A&R, which is the fun part, in my opinion, is what kind of producers do you want to work with? What songwriters turn you on? What mm-hmm. amps do you like? Do you, do you like beats? Do you want to work with a guitar player? Like, I don't know. Like, that's the fun part, in my opinion. And steering right. that, putting that whole thing together. Like, I live vicariously through artists because I'm not an artist. Like, right. you don't want me in your band. Trust, <laughs> trust me, you, you definitely don't. So, but then number four, pillar number four would be managing the project. Literally making sure that, you know, your artist is getting just as much attention as Ariana Grande or Drake, which is really, really tough. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're a brand new artist. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are superstars at all of these labels. Mm-hmm. So you're competing for bandwidth no matter what label you're at. So, I mean, that often leads to people releasing the records themselves, which leads to a very fruitful independent career. And that's often why, you know, the disintermediation of the label system is really happening now. I mean, if you look at it, how many distribution companies do we have in America now and worldwide? I mean, dozens. And the major labels are investing in distribution Mm -hmm. because distribution is really the tip of the spear. If you can, in theory, introduce or have an artist talk directly to their audience, that's the idea, right? Is a label tells you when that you can release a record. When, When do we have time? Well, we can put it out October 15th, you know, or whatever. Well, no, I want to put out my record October 9th. Well, no, like, you know, like the conversation ends there. So you, you don't really have the flexibility as to, or the ownership that you would have if you were independent, but right. then also not the resources. So it's a kind of a catch-22. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things is, hey, man, how do I really make it? Because I don't really have the financing to do it that way. Well, mm-hmm. you can't throw money at a problem anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to still be fucking great music. Right, you know? for sure. That's what um, Harry Remler said when he stopped by also that, you know, for him, he's had to figure out how to play politics even within a label. Absolutely. Like how to network within the label in order to. for them to be a priority. It's not yeah. just like you, you sign are, this piece of paper and no, all of a sudden it's, it's, people it's are going to take you places. You have you know? to block and tackle every yeah. day. And it can become annoying because there is no blanket way to do it. Like going through the department, screaming about your new artist signing. <laughs> what you do is it's very subtle. It's, you know, you talk about your artist over the course of many, many, many months because mm-hmm. Unless it's like one of those, you know, lightning in a bottle records that you basically sign and they come right out and mm-hmm. all the promotions behind it. And it's like on every radio station, but it's, you know, you know, those records. But if it's a new signing and something that is precious and art is precious to me, I mean, it doesn't matter what genre it sits in. Um, it deserves a chance, you know, mm-hmm. it deserves a chance. Everything deserves a chance. Um and when you're signing to a label, you're thinking, my God, these guys are going to help me finally make it to where I want to be. So if you don't achieve those things, it's like, it's beyond disappointing. Mm-hmm. You know? And even as an A&R person, I took that very personally. What, it, what, couldn't, what could I have done differently? And fortunately, having a 25-year you know, career in A&R, which sounds insane to actually say it, <clears throat> has given me a lot of perspective. You know, That I realized that they're pillars that I realize that I have to meet the manager more than halfway in the building mm-hmm. because they're not there. So quietly talking about my artists in a non-annoying way over the course of many, many, many months 
to multiple parties. You know, it might be water cooler talk, you know, quite honestly, like, hey, you know, I'd love to check this out. And just being non-aggressive and mm-hmm. not in everyone's face. And, you know, it's the truth is everyone has their own priorities. So even though promotion and marketing and sales and they all sit next to each other, they don't often talk. Mm-hmm. So your job as an AR person is is to make sure that they're talking right. about your artist, yeah. especially. Um, so that's not something that is easy for a manager to pull together when they're not there, mm-hmm. you know? Totally. You alluded to the kind of disintermediation of record labels to an extent when it just comes to how artists now have a kind of closer direct connection with their fan base. Yeah. Um, can you just talk about, from your perspective, what have been some of the... Um, like, how have you seen the role of a record label evolve and almost the, their importance and value in an artist's career in today's landscape? That's a great question. I mean, there's really no good way to say it other than I look at labels as, you know, ultimately just the power package of marketing and promotion and quite honestly, really radio promotion. Because most of the things that you actually can get from a label, you can either do on your own or hire a third party to do it. Um, radio promotion is like, uh, you know, so expensive. So I don't know. I don't know the need for a record company. There are so many records coming out every single day to the DSPs that, you know, the specialty of a label, I guess, would would certainly add to being able to point a finger to your project. Mm -hmm. But there's so many records coming out that you're still competing against all of the distribution companies that are also doing it. Um, there's not enough bandwidth that any of the, for how many records are coming out at any of one DSP. Just how, how is kind of the value and importance oh, of yeah. record labels? Oh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly, I think the, pr- the promotion is really where the value is. And, you know, that's, let me walk you through a conversation that may or may not have happened. Hi, I have a hundred million streams. I want a record deal. Oh my God, you have 100 million streams. Congratulations. Get the hell out of my office (laughs) immediately. You don't need a record deal. Mm -hmm. Well, I need radio promotion, like I said. Well, okay, play me the song. I haven't written it yet. Definitely get out of my office. (laughs) You know, um, because they might not be ready for that experience. You know, a label can destroy you. And not only having no control of your career, but also when you put records out is really. Just it's not as punk as it should be, you know. It's like mm-hmm. I know it's it sounds crazy to be like. Certainly, uh, major labels are not punk rock, but what is awesome about distribution is it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you're able to put your records out whenever you want. We could release this podcast, right? Right. The same way. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's nobody stopping us from telling us when to put this out, how to put it out, what our record cover looks like, you know, what kind of campaign we want to do around it. It just offers a lot of freedom. And again, with not having the resources though of like maybe a music video or whatever, you know, those marketing materials, content, you know, um, assets. <laughs> I need assets the assets for days. We need the assets, baby. <laughs> I'll add nice. So all of those things, they cost money. So I, I understand it's like, you know, I'm definitely going to, I, you know, I've heard both sides. It's like, well, how do I do it then? Well, you know, ultimately the music leads. It's like, I hate to say it, but like, when I started putting out records with my twin brother, Joel, when I was 12 years old, we, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but we eventually started getting to finding our niche and 
selling tons, you know, 5,000 of a seven inch, I think is a pretty awesome achievement for punk rock and hardcore. But then, you know, as it grew, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And sorry, <laughs> having the ability to be able to put your records out whenever you want to, to actually own the masters, to put out the artwork, however you want to do it. And just the, all of that to me is very punk. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of when I was 12 years old and started right. putting out records. Right, 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 that's right. where I was going with this thing is, um, you know, to me, that's, that is, you know, I don't need you. And what I was trying to say earlier is, in theory, the artist is supposed to be able to communicate their message directly to the DSP mm-hmm. without the watered down, in quotes, um, you know, uh, meddling of a label, right? Right. Right, right? But that's how one could perceive it. And then one could also perceive it as, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I need a label, mm-hmm. you know? But I think if you're making good choices in distribution, even you have a lot of choices right now, right? you know? And so an artist can make a very, you know, informed decision about their, their distribu- distribution company, whether or not they're going to give them the services that they need. Are they going to pitch to editorial? Are they going to help me with marketing? Are they going to help me with my YouTube? Are they going to optimize my channel? Are they going to, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things are important for any artist, not just independent, right. but any artist, you know? So whether you're a major or not, like, can you get those things done? Right. For sure. You know, click. So Totally. That's awesome. I mean, when we think about, and then how do you see it continuing to evolve? I mean, having seen how it's changed to date. I don't know. Any- it's, it's totally interesting. I think the next year to two years is going to be so wild. Like I, I'm way into it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love, I love, it's not disruptive. It's eruptive. It's like totally different. It's like <laughs> disruptive is like, it's nice. It's like, I knocked this can of soda over and like, oops, I made him spill. Eruptive is like I threw the fucking table over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's what we're going to see. Right. Is a really eruptive uh, business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting to watch the even the major labels go deep into distribution. They were fickle with it for a little while. And, you know, there's been some purchases recently. And, um, you know, again, it, it's important because it's really where the message is told, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but a sales team or a uh, commerce team, I should say, at any label would still be responsible for the strategy on how it gets sold and how the pre-saves are done or if, right. if those are even done anymore um, and so on. So I, it's, it's hard to say, but I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of excited because I feel untethered to anything right now. That's nice. And yeah, like I'm able to speak the truth about how I feel about the industry and my role in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a lot of exciting roles in my life and I'm, I don't know necessarily what's next, but I do know that it'll stay true to what I've always been interested in, which is working with great artists. Right. 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 You know, for sure. That's ultimately what it still goes back to. Right. Where is your kind of head and focus at right now? I mean, you're just kind of working cons- Managing, yeah, no, I mean, my, my, yeah, it's a little, little bit all over the place just because, you know, after leaving Republic, I moved over to a, one distribution company and uh, spent almost a year there and decided to really kind of focus on my personal life for a little while. And, you know, coming out of that, I just, I'm now I'm really bored and I am like, <laughs> oh, you know what, maybe I should kind of do this. And, you know, bringing a, 25 years of, of experience from like putting my, not even including my own record label. That's just major labels, you know, starting mm-hmm. at, in 1994 at 20 years old at Columbia Records was a blessing, you know, to see it go from brick and mortar 
to a dead industry to the most thriving again is pretty incredible. Right. You yeah, know, for sure. You know, it's, it's really insane. So, hmm. um, I kind of like being a little bit of free, freedom, free guy right now right. because, uh, I don't know which direction I want to be drawn in, but it's, it's definitely going to be a wild time and I want to be in the middle of it. That's amazing, man. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, exactly. Thank awesome. you. I want to um, switch to the the other side of the record just because a lot of people don't know about it. Um, we did talk about it briefly in an episode with Jen Pierce, um, but publishers. I think artists, especially young artists, are constantly thinking about what does my record deal look like? Right. I, you know, Maybe I need to get a record deal, that sort of thing. Right. But no one knows about publishing deals or what they even offer. Um, so I guess in like your own words, what does a music publisher do for, for some people that are listening? Okay, well... I guess the most important thing that a music publisher should do more than anything is collect your money properly. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Bottom line. Or is my money collected properly from all of the PROs around the world? You know, the collections I'm collecting from all these societies globally. Um, you know, if my, if my record is performed in a, another country, are they getting my pennies? Cause it's quite literally a fractions business. These mm-hmm. fractions do add up to, dollars though, and that's real money um you know the the thing is is that publishing is incredibly important because it's the ip of the written work it's the mm-hmm. idea of the song rather than the written the actual recording comp- of the composition it's not the master it's not what we listen to on spotify <clears throat> but you know it's whatever your songwriter your favorite songwriter wrote mm-hmm. you know and that needs to be protected so publishers protected as well um and you know there's all, obviously all the ancillary things that go along with music publishing that's really important like sync you know um that's fantastic a fantastic way for new artists to break and or make money and or be able to stream more records and tour and uh, it's just an incredible resource so um it's interesting because you know uh, conversely when i was in music publishing i would have these sort of esoteric conversations with, with artists, with writers, I should say, you know, they're all artists, but let's say a songwriter who would say, look, if I could just get a music publishing deal, then I would, then everything would be this way. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Like, no, because you still have to hustle. You still have to get to that person. And then another time when I was president of Amalgam Music Publishing, as I said earlier, the Dutch used to say Amahim. So <laughs> when I was president there, you know, I had a songwriter that I'd signed and to a fairly inexpensive deal, but somebody I really cared about and thought I could really get in many rooms and open up doors for him. And that's another thing that a music publisher is really important for is mm-hmm. to introduce you to other songwriters and right. put together recording, you know, writing sessions. And mm-hmm. um, that's where the magic happens, right? You know, I, I, I'm not a songwriter. Again, I'm living vicariously through. I wish I wrote those lyrics. Oh my God, I wish. I felt down lonely before. And those are the, those are the things that really keep you going. You know, mm-hmm. like lyrics are, lyrics save lives. Yeah. Music saves lives. So it's an important thing. And, um, but, you know, like I'll tell you a really quick story that I think is funny is, you know, I, I had a, two different conversations. I remember when I was in Magam that really stuck with me. And the one was I'd signed a young person who called me and said, thank you so much. You know, we did this deal. You know, I want to work with, and this is kind of dated. So excuse me. And I want to work with Max Martin and, you know, Dr. Luke and Claude Kelly and so on. And I'm like, great, start calling them. 
<laughs> you know, because if I, I'm not calling those guys, they don't even know who you are, you know? <laughs> and so if they're not hustle, and this is the same with management as well, and you know, you probably agree with this, is that if your client isn't hustling every single day as hard as you are, then what, how can you make their lives superlative? Yeah, you can't. You, know, you can't. So leave the rooms, leave the house, like go out and do something, you know, because there's nothing to manage otherwise. Right. You know, and the, the other story is, I think it was like three o'clock on like a Wednesday or something. And I got a phone call and it's one of the songwriters and dude, I just had the raddest day. You know, I got really stoned and me and my girlfriend walked around the lake and got pizza. And I'm like, cool. Did you write a song? Like, cause that is your only thing you needed to do today was write, <laughs> was write a song. You know? like, doesn't need to be a good song. Doesn't need to be a bad song. Just needs to be a song. Because if your craft is a songwriter, then you should write a fucking song. So <laughs> I showed up to work today. I'm here. You know, I answered the phone. So anyway, the next day, the guy wrote a lot of songs. <laughs> that, that, got, that got sorted. But, you know, ultimately, but, you know, bear in mind, a songwriter is able to sort of load their gun and, you know, and conversely, a publisher is able to load their gun with a songwriter's songs and take them to a record label. And, you know, ideally, um, an A&R would listen to a song that was available and mm-hmm. take it to one of their artists if they cut outside material. Right. So that still happens as well. Um, and then writing camps and certainly putting together songwriting sessions, as I said, is the most fun part of the job. But, you know, ultimately music publishing is really important for just making sure that your mechanical royalties get collected and your performing rights uh, royalties get collected from a global, on a global basis. And they're, a lot of fantastic companies that do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Publishing is also a really great way to discover artists because sometimes they're songwriters first. Right. You yeah. Know, or they're both. You know, I've always described Dream A and Dream B, which is Dream A is you may or may not be selling out the garden, right? But you've, Dream B is you've always been a great songwriter. So, if those dozens of songs that are sitting on your hard drive, are just going to stay on your hard drive. They're not doing anybody any service, right? Mm-hmm. So give them to me and let me try to, you know, take them to some people and see if they care. Right. And even the idea of pitching songs to an NR person might seem like an antiquated idea. And it, it is a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you this. When a publisher would send me a song, and even if I didn't love the song or necessarily have a, an artist that would cut it, I would want to know who wrote it, if right. it was good, because those people would end up writing with my artist. So it's almost like a demo, in my opinion, to right. get somebody to pay attention to you as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. So publishing is very important. It's really the really big unknown of the music business. And the truth, is, truth be told, it's such a dynamically changing business that if you're not paying attention every single day, it's like you, something you might have missed something. Right. You know? Totally. Um, the NMPA and so on has been fighting for better uh, mechanical rights and streaming for songwriters. Yeah. That just got 40% better from shit, but 40% better. It's at least a start. Um, I mean, the truth is, is like a lot of people who listen to music don't know that maybe the artist that is singing it isn't the one who wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, I love this artist. Yeah. And the guy who wrote it is driving Uber. Yeah. You know, I'm dead serious because they could have a number one record and be one of eight writers on a record. Yeah. And they're earning nothing, mm-hmm. earning 40% of nothing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a whole nother, you should dedicate an entire podcast to that topic yeah, alone. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's for worth sure. discussing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, um, 
you know, we had a client, well, we have a client at EQT who we actually found through songwriting credits. It was like, this song is really wit- written really well. Um, it's clear that the main artist didn't fully write the song. Right. Like, who else was a part of it? Of course. And then, fortunately, he also had a career of his own where the songs were just as good. Yeah. And uh, his flavor was on those records so much that it sounded a lot more fresher and unique coming from his own mouth than it did from yeah, that artist. So It's interesting when you see a song that has 12 writers on it. Yeah. I'm like, what did you do? The beat? Not even <laughs> yeah. the beat, the, the kick drum. Yeah, right. I made the kick drum sound. Cowbell. And then I made the cowbell. <laughs> like, the I, mean, cowbell. I, would, I don't know how you have 12 songwriters on a song, but it happens. That's fun. Yeah. And they say, isn't Kanye kind of notorious for like, if anybody's in the room when a song is being produced, like he goes out of his way in order to try and give people, get people on the actual credits? I'm not actually it's sure, but I would think that Kanye West, when anyone contributes anything, their manager is like, hey, I contribute. Like, I'm sure they <laughs> are the ones like, hey, I was in the room too. I coughed and it somehow yeah. ended up on the record. Exactly. I need 2%. Yeah, there's the old, there's the old joke is, um, and this doesn't pertain to Kanye, of course, but like, you know, um, change a word, get a third. You know, it's like, you can't come in and like, ah. Let's not say Jesus. Let's say baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've also joked about that where Christian songs could actually be love songs if you just change Jesus to baby. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. On the flip side of publishing, I mean, another kind of uh, behind the scenes part of the industry is distributors. I know um, there's a lot of kind of like consumer facing or distributors available to the mass public. Yeah. Um, Lots. And then on the flip side too, I mean, even bigger uh, labels are still kind of leveraging like third-party distributors mm-hmm. in the back end on the, the big Absolutely. tier. Um, you alluded to some of the different value propositions or things you should be conscious of when trying to evaluate a distributor. Can you dive a little bit deeper as far as what you think are yeah. some of the most important components of, uh, of kind yeah, of... Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, how long have they been in business? Have they been around? Like, are they brand new? Do they know the business? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anybody who hasn't been doing this for at least 10 years, I'd, I'd scratch a little bit at it. Um, it's a very, you know, it's a very interesting business. A lot of people are trying to get into it now. Before we, I, I do, I'm, and I'm excited for you to dive deep into this, but in the same way that Jordan kind of had you define what is publishing. I mean, yeah. when I think of distributor, it's like, okay, they will literally get your music on DSPs and will help a lot in playlist picture. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that would be the non-DIY distributor. Right. The DIY distributor is what you were talking about as right. maybe the more front-facing mm-hmm. Consumer distributor, like a TuneCore or, right. or DistroKid or so right. on. Not that I'm endorsing anyone, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but that's just gets it online, right? Right, right? But even those companies are, make no mistake about it, are building their own. I, I don't know what DistroKid is doing, but certainly TuneCore has, mm-hmm. uh, are building out services, right? You know, where you are going to be able to pitch and, or be pitched rather. And ultimately, it's still up to them. I'm not saying them specifically, but the distributor. Right. Um, you know, a lot of, this is the other thing. So I guess, have they been around for a long time? You know, who are their clients? Right. You know, do they have any bad uh, negative feedback on them online? It's pretty easy to Google, you know, about who you might <laughs> right. potentially be a partner right, right, with. Right, right. Um, what is their percentage? Like, what do they take to do what they're doing? Will they define their marketing services? Will they put it in a deal? Like, we will take X amount of percentage to do the following. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you might not have the luxury of all of these things, but it depends. Right. I mean, just saying, like, that's what I would be looking for. Totally. Certainly, you know, do they have a sync department? 
um, some distributors do now, you know, because that's actually important. You know, right. as we just described earlier, that leads to more streaming. Shazam something. I mean, obviously we see the results of Shazam. Right. You know, oh, geez, the sync actually led to, the sync on Grey's Anatomy actually led to more, more streams. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. And we right. can see it in real time. So, um, you, you know, certainly uh, do they pitch? How many things do they pitch? Right. You know, because if they're pitching more records than a major label pitches, you might be better off working with a smaller company that is more focused. And, you know, again, it's, it's very hard to find those people. Um, you know, the ones that are obviously the best at it are getting bought up. Right. Um, certainly, uh, there's still a lot of independent ones that are fantastic. And I'm not saying there's one over the other is better. It's, it's like, again, like any other record label. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they're not a record label, and let's get it, not get it to define it specifically, it's a licensing deal. Right. So you own your master rather than signing a record label, a record deal, which will essentially give your ownership of your recorded work to the record label. So you're basically licensing it for a specific term. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years Mm -hmm. for X percentage. And what are you getting in return? So please outline that to me very specifically is what I would be asking for in great detail. But it's interesting because a lot of the services a distributor, uh, a really well-defined distributor offers these days is almost very akin to what a really well-rounded label is. Right. You know, you sometimes can't tell the difference. You know, yeah. A lot of these DIY distributors are actually signing, I mean, making investments directly in artists. And yeah, absolutely. As if they are labels. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, bear in mind, nobody really owns anything. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, it's just like a bank. If at one moment any... You know, a hundred thousand artists took all of their music out of one distributor, and that's all their catalog. They would be done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever is in the catalog, whatever's in the system, is really what's generating income, right? Right. So it's kind of in real time. Catalogs obviously important, but mm-hmm. new signings are very important. So it's super aggressive. It is definitely a blood to, you know, hand-to-hand combat sport, you know, just right. like A&R right. or anything else. And the distributors are hiring senior A&R people from major labels now mm-hmm. because that's what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is, are people that uh, have done it for a long time, have relationships, uh, are able to go toe-to-toe with other people, be formidable competition, right. and so on. But, you know, it's going to be interesting because we don't know what the role of editorial is going to look like at Spotify or Apple or any of those mm-hmm. things in the next couple of years. Like already it's a little bit of it is, uh, you know, based on what I like or you like, it's very experiential, experiential. Mm-hmm. So my rap caviar might look different than your rap caviar or whatever. If I like, you know, Metro Boomin more than you like Metro Boomin or whatever, even that, part of the business is going to be very interesting to observe. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe that that's where really the business is right now. Right. So um, I would watch distribution closer than anything. I think it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about, um, and this is for like young entrepreneurs that sure. are currently in the industry. Um, trying to think how to phrase this question. What do you think young people in the music industry should do in order to be at the level that you are at right now? So like, like um, I mean, you've well, been an executive at a few different companies, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I've also been doing it for 25 years. I mean, I was yeah. lucky. I was lucky, you know, that, you know, it was a time and a place 
in the early 90s where every label was wanting to sign punk rock and hardcore and you know Sonic Youth got signed and Green Day got signed and everyone the major labels were trying to sign bands on my label mm-hmm. and you know being punk rock and I didn't have deals and you know I didn't <laughs> do deals with anybody mm-hmm. so you know none of these bands got signed but ultimately you know I got a job I got offered a job. I was pre-med. I hate blood. I, I would have never <laughs> made a good doctor. I have terrible handwriting. I got that. Uh, so, you know, I, I remember it. I was like, you know, and I, I met I met many different labels, but ultimately I was offered a job at, at Columbia Records uh, and Geffen Records, and I chose Columbia. And, you know, that was my four years of college rather than med school. Mm-hmm. And... It's just really hard to say how I got here because my story was so unique. Well, and I guess, you know, but the, 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 the thread here is do it right. yourself. You still got to start on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wanted to do a record label and I didn't know how to do it. So I just, I didn't, there were no books to read about it. You know, yeah. we just, my brother and I figured it out and it took trial and error and real, you know, real world, real time money and all that stuff. And um, fortunately for me, you know, in 94, I was, I was offered a job and I just don't know how that works in this day and age. I think in, I would suggest certainly an internship. I mean, that goes without saying, even I did an internship mm-hmm. at Ryko Music and Ryko Disc would taught, taught me about a proper record deal. It taught me about music publishing. Um, and then later on, I actually did a joint venture with them. So mm-hmm. it actually worked out in my favor. So, you know, having, not, I mean, not knowing, uh, I'm sorry, having the desire, the drive to pursue what you're interested in is, is really, I think the best advice I could give and give to somebody because I didn't think that music could be my job. It was my hobby. Mm-hmm. And when somebody's like, we'll pay you to do this shit. I'm like, you're kidding. Like, <laughs> you're kidding me. I'll do that. I would, I would do this for free, but I don't tell anybody, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, but just how, I mean, honestly, there's so many great music business programs now as well, even at colleges, but what you're learning in your freshman year might not even be relevant to what you're like needing to know in your senior year mm-hmm. or even going out the building. So just paying attention and being in the industry is really important. So I would say absolutely go after an internship, do it yourself, put out your own records. You know, um, there's so many ways to do it yourself these days that weren't available to me when I was 12 or 13 years old. Mm. Um, not that the listeners are necessarily that young, but, you know, even, even as, you know, somebody wants to be a young business person or even a business person, it still requires you to sort of do your research and to know what lane you want to go into. Is it a Is it marketing? Is it PR? Is it management? You might not know until you try it. Yeah. Like, you know, so I already knew I loved a I just didn't know what it was called. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was doing, I was signing the bands, I was helping record the bands, I was helping make their artwork, I was manufacturing it, I was distributing it. So when you're wearing that many hats, you didn't, I didn't know that there was such a thing as A&R until somebody offered me a job doing that. Right. So. Um, when you are at these jobs as an executive, how do you, um, what do you notice? Who are your favorite, like who, what, what sort of traits do your favorite people at these places have? Who are the people that you see rising fairly quickly at the company, you know, as an executive and, and what's the, what are some common, common traits that they have? Consistency and integrity and, you know, generally 
I mean, the ones that I've seen stick around. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's there's a difference between the fast ascent, yeah, and the do you want Very a career? True. Very true. The ones that have had a career, like myself, have you know done the right things. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of accelerated ways to step on people and get ahead, but I, I've never done it, and I wouldn't suggest it to anybody else because it's already a ruthless business. You know, it's like. There's, we can bring a little bit of niceness to this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, come on, we're already so harsh. Um, but yeah, I mean, my experience has been like, it, the truth is, is I try to mentor as many people as I can and mm-hmm. give them as much advice as I possibly can because I'm not above that. Like, mm-hmm. right. it took, thank God I had people that were willing and patient to listen to me and yeah. answer my questions and not think I was stupid because I didn't know. And, right. you know, it's okay to be vulnerable and ask questions and, you know, that's the only way you're going to learn. So I, you know, I've been fortunate that I've made good decisions for a long time and in the leadership positions that I've had, whether it was at Amagum or elsewhere, I've always surrounded myself with people that knew more than I did. Right. Especially, you know, on specific topics. Like when you're in music publishing, you want the copyright expert, like the copyright expert. I got that guy. So if I have that guy, I don't need to dive super deep into it. I need to understand it, of course. But surrounding yourself with experts and also like I'm older right now, you know? So I, I definitely find value in a tapestry of, of age. Mm-hmm. You know, like what I might know at 45 is definitely not what a 25-year-old knows and and vice versa. So... I want to be around young people because I'm learning things all the time and I'm also teaching. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a quid pro quo for that. And, you know, I, I do believe that uh, there, there still needs to be a lot of education in A&R and certainly a lot of other parts of the music business, but I'll talk about what I know about, you know, and it's not just discovery. It's what you do with it after that counts. Mm-hmm. So. Love that. So I know uh, you've interacted with tons of artist teams, both as a manager yourself or kind of being the, the advocate internally or finding people and turning them down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably a lot of those that we didn't get, talk about geez, yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But no, it's, there's been a lot, of yeah. course. But. So the kind of question I want to lead into there, um, or two-part question. One part is, where do you feel like artists and artist teams should focus their time and effort when it comes to the early stages of their career? Obviously, like you see some of the data, but yeah. I, I think artists are like, I want to get in front of an A&R, and they're like, DM and A&R's left and right. Yeah, that's and like, like the worst thing you exactly. can do. Exactly. So, I, I can't. Right. So what do you think, yeah. aside from DMing you directly? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I mean, honestly, <laughs> fo- I think focusing on social yeah. media is important, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's meaningful to hit up an A&R person directly and you know, that's not attention grabbing right. whatsoever. Um, again, I mean, since there is so much analytics being mined at the moment, yeah. you know, if you're a new artist, I would say focus on your music first, you know, yeah. make great music. Um, but when it's ready to be packaged and shown to the world, if you've found the distribution partner that you hopefully have found to, you know, bring it into the world in the right way, or if you're just going to do it through a DIY service, that's absolutely fine too. Um, but really focusing on, you know, your, your social media campaign, your Instagram, like getting your social media numbers up early, I think is really important Mm -hmm. and it being real, like, you know, um, 
genuine person who actually cares about your music. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly performing live. I yeah. mean, some people think like the being an artist is still just being a studio project. Like, right. no, I want to see you live. Right. You know, it's got to be real. Um, Cause at some point you're still gonna have to sell it. You're gonna have right. to go perform it at some point. So, you know, get it together early on, be great. Right. Practice your skill, be a real artist. Totally. You know, all of those things lead to being discovered. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't say that there's one specific thing to focus on, but it's a totality. It's the whole wholesomeness of an ecosystem. Like, mm-hmm. does this person have real fans? Are they real? Can they perform live? What does their Instagram look like? Cool. I mean, obviously, is the music great? Is the first question that I ask. But those are all the things that follow. Right. You know, um, that's pretty much 101 that I would focus on, yeah. obviously, but really making great music. And mm-hmm. uh, that'll rise to the top always, always 100% of the time. Amazing. I believe. To dive deeper in that vein, when it comes to artist teams, um, artists themselves, artist teams, managers, what do you think separates the good from the great? Having seen people that have like risen the ranks and others that may have been good and like, but Fizzled not necessarily out. like, bro- yeah, exactly. Yeah, their potential. In management specifically? I'd say, I mean, just looking at a team holistically, if you want to dive into a manager's perspective no, for sure. But I think like a lot of the listeners are just kind what of- What makes it great? It makes a great artist team. Or, oh, a great yeah. artist team. A great artist team is one who communicates yeah. incredibly well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, almost anticipates each other's needs. Certainly is working for the artist, working with the artist, I should say, right. in lockstep. Um, the tightest machines are the ones that succeed the most, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion. Um, but again, I've also seen total disasters have platinum records as well. Right, so, right, right, right. you know, it's, it's, there is no formula to it, but I do believe that communication is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. I mean, however you're doing it, meetings in person, Slack every day, mm-hmm. whatever, just get on the same page. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely important because if you're, you know, eating what you kill, so to speak, in management, mm-hmm. commissioning what you are able to bring to the table, you got to hustle. You got to work your ass off. And, totally. you know, conversely, you have to remember that ultimately your goal is to lift the artist. Right. You know, it's not your ego. It's not your, right. your services. You're there to, to lift the artist. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, there's really no reason to be doing that. Right. You know, for sure. In my opinion. Yeah. We have a hot take segment. So we'll introduce it it on air. Okay. Jesus. You want to introduce it? Hot take segment is pretty much where we say things that we don't necessarily believe in or that we do believe in. You don't know. We just try to say them to stir the pot and then you tell us what you think of them. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, Is there like a time limit? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had people, we've had, we've said hot takes and we've had people literally sit there like, oh, hmm. and sit there right. for like 20 seconds or so. So right. it just depends. You could answer it really quickly. You right. know? Well, let's see what happens. Um, LA is the plus, best place you want to be if you want to succeed in the music industry. And again, it's, that's an opinion. Um, right. What I think truly is, you know, look, LA is beautiful for if you want 75 degree weather and sunshine every day and it's Groundhog Day. It's awesome. I just got back from Los Angeles last night. I have no problem with Los Angeles. But the thing about New York, in my opinion, is it's such a hard place to live. That's why it's, you know, it weeds out certain people. And a lot of the artists have moved to Los Angeles. A lot of the songwriters have moved to Los Angeles. It's a much cheaper place to live. You know, if you're 
seriously, you know, if, if you're living off of your art, it's, it's, a, it's a much nicer life, right? But if you're in New York, you're a unicorn. Because if you're creative and you're a songwriter and you're a producer, it's like I can name on, I could literally list on like, you know, uh, make a list of who's relevant right now, mm-hmm. who I'd want to work with. So I don't know. I think that there's something to be said about being in New York. Um, but if you want to write thousands of songs and just be part of the, you know, uh, what, what is expected, I mean, certainly Los Angeles, bring it on. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't believe that there's really one specific place that is going to make or break you mm-hmm. ge- geographically. Um, you could be on the fucking moon as long as you're awesome. Yeah. You know, but I mean, Los Angeles just gives you the, at least the, what's the word I'm looking for? The access, I guess, to other songwriters, other creators. So you can write a lot of songs very quickly. You can create very quickly. Certainly the lifestyle is awesome, but I mean, I've been here 25 years and like, there's something about, the experience in New York, I've seen and made records in, in New York and been a part of that process. And it's a hell of a lot harder. And it creates different art, I think, as a result. Just, and again, it's an opinion. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's an opinion. Right. Uh, For sure. All right, last hot take. Um, inexperienced managers should work in the industry before going all in on trying to break an act. I think you're at an interesting point, given the fact that you have so much experience in the music industry and are now working to manage. Right. You see the flip side happen yeah. more often. Yeah, I do. Um, so I'm so sorry, the hot take again. is inexperienced managers should work in the industry before going all in and trying to break an act. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all in before even being a manager. You know, I mean, it's interesting. I think, you know, the name, we, I, I at least call them like cell phone managers. There's no, you know, office. There's no... <laughs> backline yeah. it's just like somebody with a cell phone and I, there's nothing wrong with <laughs> yeah. that but like that's just the beginning of somebody's career right it's it's honestly a little insulting when after you have so much experience for somebody to sort of tell you how it's going to work and right right you know it's like hey listen you have to be respectful of just the process mm-hmm. you know and i do believe that having experience in the industry, even at a management company, just teaches you how to be an adult Mm -hmm. and like brings you into the real world on how to talk to people and how to be empathetic and what, how to listen to artists, you know, Mm -hmm. and how to listen to executives. Right. And I'll be honest, like inexperienced managers, just, they talk a lot Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm listening, but I'm not hearing anything new. Mm -hmm it's not hard to get the experience. I mean, certainly finding a great client seems to be the easy part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you are able to hook up with another management company or somebody that you might be able to learn from, that would, I think, behoove you better than just suffering and destroying your potential career because you could make a career out of this. You know, I see a lot of people failing very early because they make the wrong decisions early. Mm-hmm. So... I guess my, my take is get the experience first. Yeah, for sure. And one closing kind of question here. Uh, what draws you to the music industry? I feel like a lot of us are like fans first. So having been in this game for a minute, 
what keeps you excited? What's the, I mean, what, what is the, the spark, the, the twinkle in the, your the, eye the in the early stand? Yeah, no, I mean, that's really it. It's like, honestly, every time I think I'm leaving the music business, I'm like, keep pulling me back in. Like, <laughs> hey, no, it's the same reason that I started a label when I was a kid is that I'm not a musician. Mm-hmm. I love music. This is the closest I could be to living vicariously is like living through an artist. And like I said, I don't, you don't want me playing bass in your band. <laughs> so if I'm able to work with a songwriter or an artist or both, you know, a, a, you know, performer or whomever, that's incredibly satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing that gets me up in the morning is what am I going to find today? Like, what am I going to mm-hmm. discover today? Because it's like endless, right? right? Like there's so much music being made and so much content being made and so much media being made that it's not even necessarily music anymore, is it? Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about what's undiscovered at the moment. Like what, what kid in what weird country is sitting in a room making something right now that we're, we're going to hear mm-hmm. a year from now or maybe tomorrow, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> depending on how quickly it goes. But it's always the same thing is, is finding something that nobody else, else has heard before. Yeah, Totally. Well, on that note, I think uh, our audience has definitely heard a lot of great stuff that Thanks they may so have much, not heard guys. before today, Jason. So yeah. thank you for coming Thanks on for the show, man. Thanks for having me in sick and everything. And I appreciate you uh, hosting me. And this is really awesome. So thank I hope you, you guys sir. keep doing this. Well, thank you, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Man, Jason Jordan is real, bro. I could tell that from the beginning. Um, he's just no bullshit, man. And there are a lot of people in this industry that and I'm not going to say any names or anything like that. And I love the music industry, so I'm not talking about the music industry the as names. a whole. But nah, nah, ain't nothing like that. I can't even really think of people right now. Uh-huh. I just dealt, I, you know, I, I don't even know. I don't even know the people. Jordan's winking at me on air right nah, now. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not even looking at you, bro. Nah, I'm not going to look at you no more. But nah, Jason, Jason, um, you know, we have people that come on this podcast and it's fine. But, um, you know, they're they afraid to drop the gems. They're afraid to be honest. And Jason was was honest throughout. And I'm, I'm super glad he was because he's had such a long career. So, you know, when we got into publishing and we got to talk about record labels and, and what's cool in the deal and if you really needed a, a record deal or not, you know, you catch me sometimes talking about record labels in a way because I work for one. But he was the president of a publishing company. He literally worked at... Republic Records vice president of A&R and he still gave us the realness and that's what I appreciate about Jason what do you think yeah no I thought it was incredible I mean I think he's very experienced very accomplished just worked at the the highest of like very senior levels across some of the world's biggest music related companies so I think it's a refreshing perspective given that oftentimes we're working with people that are really I mean not to say he's not in the trenches but I think he just has this uh, this different set of experience of working in the music industry near the top of these very large music organizations. So I think that's very valuable. So I really enjoyed getting to hear that perspective. Um, I think also hearing him talk about how kind of the industry has evolved over the years, what his approach to A&R is and what he's looking for in different talent, how you guys can really leverage that on your own. I think it was just filled with tons of very valuable information and some tactics too. And take notes on that music publishing section because I've gotten a lot of questions about the, about music publishing and what that even means. So yeah. I'm just really glad we went over that and, uh, you know, play that back a few times. I tried to get into it for you guys. Yeah. Well, as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in and for listening. Really appreciate you. Um, until next week, we out. <laughs>